Welcome to the LB Performance Podcast with me, your host, Lawrence Bourne. Consider supporting us by rating, reviewing and subscribing to wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify and iTunes, as well as sharing the episodes through your social media. You can get in touch with us using our Instagram handle, which is performance underscore LB, or you can use our email address, which is coach at lbperformance.ie. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the temporary finale of the LB Performance Podcast. This week, I'll be speaking to two-time Eurovision representative for Slovenia and a cousin of mine, Omar Naber. For many of us in Ireland, we have the routine of knowing that Eurovision appears every year on TV, but needless to say, being used to the idea that we either won't make it to the final or we won't get very high in the final rankings, despite Ireland having won the competition more than any other country. But the reason why I have Omar here today is to one, catch up of course, but secondly to talk about how Eurovision has impacted artists' careers after Eurovision, and specifically how it affected his. We speak about his journey and how he became an artist, who were his biggest influences growing up, and how he became the first artist in Slovenia to represent his country twice at Eurovision. We also answer the listeners' questions for the last time. Enjoy the episode, folks, and I'll chat to you guys on the other side. How are you keeping over in Slovenia at the moment? How are things there? Well, it could be better. It has been better. Uh, but um, it's not that bad, you know? I've used this time uh, of... I hate those words. The three words I hate the most. I've used this time of quarantine, COVID-19, pandemic, and coronavirus. <laughs> you don't have to cut that out. Yeah, no, I have used this time very wisely i have become my own producer you see mm-hmm. and i have been producing my own music uh for the past year i'm still not like the best producer the mu- the best music producer in the world but still um in this year i've managed to learn as much so i recognize now that i don't need any producer anymore that i don't need a studio anymore uh, that i don't need uh, to count on anybody anymore so I'm my own self, I'm my own producer, I'm my own a guitar player, bass player, you know, I like to produce some drums and uh, I record my vocals and uh, I do everything by myself. So this has actually been a very, very well used year and few months of the pandemic, if you will. <laughs> but um, it'd be quite good. It's not that bad. I really used this time uh, after 15 of 15 years of being on stage, like two or three or four times a week. So it has been like a relief, a very, very big life holiday. So I'm very happy with that. Listening to different podcasts that I do, there's a lot of, there's a few comedians that I would listen to and they kind of make the same point that they're up on stage pretty much most of the year. So for this to happen has given everyone a lot of a, a, a nice chance to regather with themselves to regroup practice a few things that they wouldn't have really had time for spend time with family whatever that may be uh, oh actually speaking of family how's anise oh anise is quite well he has now become a real estate agent did you know that 
No, it's the first I've heard about it. Just for the listeners' reference, he's obviously your brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, he's actually quite enjoying it. He has like uh, three or four diplomas, man. Uh, he's been like not really a detective, but how do you call it? Like a criminalist. This is one. And he's a chef, like a cook. He's somebody who can open his own restaurant. And now he's become a real estate agent. And I think he's really enjoying it now. Wow, that's brilliant. Super. Yeah. So to, to come back to you then, I suppose, what we were saying before about you having a, a nearly, is it over a year now that you've had time to yourself just to, to focus on yourself and your music? Over a year. Over a year. Um, it has been going on since March 2020. So yeah, for 14 man, months now. So um, yeah, there's nothing, pretty much nothing we can do about it, but wait to see what happens next. And um, fortunately, I've had some savings. Um, the nation of Slovenia has helped me a bit country of Slovenia has helped me a bit because I have this status of cultural worker in Slovenia. So uh, it hasn't been that bad. So it's quite okay. Okay, brilliant. That's great to hear. So to, oh, yeah. to, let's take it back to the very start of... Uh... Yeah, 55 years ago. Okay, let's start. <laughs> very impressive for someone who's nearly 40. Um, <laughs> I wanted to speak about your journey. How did you get to where you are now? I can honestly say that this has been quite a spontaneous journey. It happened in quite a spontaneous way. Uh, I'm sorry, pardon my English. I haven't spoken English for uh, for two years. It's been two years since I've been in uh, London or Dublin until now. So I'm not as fluid as I was. You can remember. Of course. But yeah. Um, you became so much more fluent after a few pints of Guinness as well. Oh, I know. If you bring me one, I'll be fluid as fuck. You <laughs> <laughs> start speaking Spanish randomly. That'll be a miracle. I, I, I'm going to be speaking Arabic. So tell yeah. me, how did, where did you start from? How, where, was your, where did your music career start? Or when did it start even? Um, I think I was 15 years old, 15. Up until I was 15, uh, I used to listen to Michael Jackson quite a lot. Uh, he, I was an absolute fan. I, I still am tonight, uh, today. But after that, I discovered rock music. Uh, and it came up with uh, the band called Green Day. And for the first time, I heard the song called Basket Case. Some friend told me, dude, you got to listen to this. Shit. And I said, oh, all right. Okay, let me see. Let me hear it out. And I heard it out and I said, oh my God, this is the best thing that I've ever heard in my life. It was an album called Dookie. I've never looked back. That's it. I'm, but I'm not just saying like I'm a punk rocker now. No, far from it. I've become a musician ever since then, you know. I've been 15 years old and it has been on the seaside. I remember we were on holidays when I heard first heard that and that song. And when I came home, my mother is a musician as well. And we had a piano back then. Right away, I went to the piano and I said to myself, wow, okay, I want to find the chords of this song. And I said, oh no, this is not enough. I want to make my own music. I didn't say I want to be a singer. I didn't say I want to be a star. I didn't say I want to create my own band. I didn't say I want to play the guitar or something. I said to myself, I want to write music. I want to have my statement with writing my own music. So that's when it all started. When did you become well known in Slovenia for your music? The next step was I was 16 years old and my mom bought me a guitar. <gasps> <laughs> Shock. <laughs> After that, I started making music and uh, writing songs on my guitar, of course, which I still do right now. You know, and when I was 18, I created my own rock band and it still lasts. But, you know, nothing really big has happened up until I was 22, 23. We went around with it, you know, with my drummer and with my bass player. And we were like really minimal. And 
people used to say, wow, this is a great band. Wow, this is a great singer, but nothing big ever happened. So after that, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to go and join the music, the, the music talent show, like a talent show. And my friend said, no, 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 don't do it. You'll get a stamp on your forehead to be just one of the talents. But I said to myself, okay, I got nothing to lose. So I went and I won the show. And after that, I got a ticket to Eurovision. Somebody who won the talent show, they said, this guy can go to Eurovision, you know, to the pre-selection of for Eurovision. And I won the pre-selection as well because my rating was high back then. And then I went to the Eurovision uh, in 2005. I was, I think, 23, 24. Actually, that's when it actually all started. For me, I've, I've kind of wondered what happens to the Eurovision contestants after Eurovision is over. Now, naturally, it's just a case of you go home and I'm sure the country, you'll probably be in the spotlight for a little while. Is that the same thing that happened to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, it's um, I assume it's uh, like that all over the place, all over the Europe. You know, you get there and everybody's hyped. Wow, we're going to win. We're going to have a next big star. And of course, nothing ever happens. And even with the winners of the Eurovision, they hit the spotlight and they are in a spotlight for a little while. And then, you know, whatever you do, you know, there's so much music and so much talent and so much music, so many musicians. And, you know, you have internet now. The quality is, uh, especially in these days today, it's not recognized easily because you cannot find it because there's so much music and there's so much musicians and there's internet and you're just covered with music. You know, you live in Ireland, okay? Mm-hmm. Of course, you have few Irish musicians that are very, very successful. Some of them are successful in Ireland only. Some of them are successful in England only. And maybe some of them are successful in England and Ireland. And some of some of them are, of course, recognized like worldwide, like the biggest band in the world is YouTube, YouTube, mm-hmm. right? But there are so many that are actually quite good, but they cannot get a recognition because of the internet. Because when you put like a, a golden needle into... A, like a needle, a needle in a haystack. Yeah, that's right. Um, because there's so much of it that you cannot find, you, you cannot distinguish the really something that is a big quality. There are so many things that um, just um, distract you from finding the quality that you want to find. Do you know, uh, do you see my point? So Spotify for me would be a great example. I would go on Spotify yeah. and I'd be looking for a particular song or there, there's a there's a lyric going through my head, but I can't seem to find the song that I'm trying to associate it with. But then I find another song and then you get distracted. Oh, that's a good song. I might listen to that one instead. That and then it just takes you off the, the track that you were meant to be on in the first place. That's what I'm saying. And, you know, it just consumes all of that. So much of your time that you just, you know, in the next seven or eight minutes, oh, oh my God, I have a phone call. My mom is calling me or, oh, you know, my daughter is crying in your case, of course. <laughs> well, hopefully not crying. <laughs> yeah. you, forget about this. you know, you just forget about this or your friend calls you for a beer or something or your boss wants to crap on your head again or whatever. <laughs> um, dude. <laughs> this is my point. Yeah, and uh, there's no way that you could actually stand out. Yeah, stand out like you could in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, or even 90s, uh, because there was no internet. Uh, the things that progressed were only the things that were not 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 only top quality, but they went through the filter. You know, of the people that knew what they were doing, from from the 
people that were on radio stations that held the studios, the music studios, uh, with people who were in charge of uh, what is going to be on air on radio stations and stuff like that. But now, write some music and you put it on your YouTube YouTube channel. And you, if you have a good skills with internet, which I don't, you can create quite a big following and you can erase the artists that actually have quite some quality. You know what I mean? If you're good with internet, if you have like a good uh, skill of marketing, I would say, that counts for much more than having a quality and ear for music and stuff like that. You know what I mean? No, that definitely makes sense. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to touch on what was the next big thing that happened to you after Eurovision, the first one in 2005. Even before that, uh, I had a lot of gigs and i released my first studio album which was quite a success i think we sold like 20,000 albums here brilliant and yeah and um you know for a country as small as slovenia you could say that's quite a success you know for 2005 and after that i released an album in serbia which was also sold like in four thousand copies i think and i also had so many gigs you know in a year and a half i had so many gigs dude you wouldn't believe i had like more than 100 gigs in one year and then another year i think i had 80 more and i even like made quite some money but i was stupid and i was young and i just uh, not really used it all but I wanted to invest in music, invest in my uh, music um, equipment and stuff like that. Instead of it, I should just buy myself a flat, you know, and um, use it in a more convenient way. But, you know, it's quite something that you can experience that, you know, being a very young lad of 23, 24 years old, having loads of money, you know, having an experience of having the money and losing the money. That's a big school for life. So it's quite all right. Can I ask you a very personal question? Yeah, sure. The way that money has worked with artists has always interested me. So obviously in this day and age, it was very it's it's very much about technology. The amount of hits that you might get on Spotify, the amount of views that you can get on YouTube, anything like that. And then obviously that would stand to you an awful lot when you go play gigs. But a number of years ago, there wasn't the likes of the internet, as you said. It, a lot of your income was based on gigs and albums. Would that be correct in saying? Yeah, um, it's still on like 90% of my income let's say 80% of my income comes from gigs, you know, and concerts and stuff like that. I don't get much from Spotify or iTunes or anything. It's like a couple of hundred euros a, a year, you know? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that this is something I can count on or rely on. Every now and then, when you think about it, every day, it's more popular to stream things and subscribe to those streaming channels, uh, streaming uh, platforms. And us musicians, every year we get a little bit more of the recognition and the money and the income from those streaming, streaming platforms. It's still in transition and it's going to still last for two or three or four years before it gets settled. You know what I mean? It's it's funny, actually. When I was working with a gentleman the other day in work, he came in having bought a few CDs and one of the albums he bought was from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I, okay. said, to my, and I said to myself, is this still a thing? Are people still actually, you know, buying the CDs and whatnot today? There's a couple of friends of mine as well who are going even a number of years behind that, a bit more retro, and they're buying the old-fashioned vinyl uh, players. It's just like a trend right now, you know? Those vinyl, it's just a trend. Uh, and maybe it could stick for a while. In the end, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter, you know. If you have like a physical big LP there for you, because 
The thing is, you want to hear the music. If you hear it from the streaming platform, or you hear it from the CD, or you hear it from the radio, or you hear it from the LP, uh, the vinyl thing, it doesn't matter because you want the result. And what's the result? The result is music. What do you care where it comes from as long as you enjoy it? That's true. Actually, yeah, it's more fashionable to have those devices as opposed to just listening to the music for what it is. You want to impress somebody, some some girl. I I I I don't I don't know I don't know which girl would be impressed with that, but or some friends who would be impressed by it. But you know, people like to do their own things, and I always say, "You do you, I do me." You know, but to me, as long as I get the feels from the music, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. You know. Mm, mm. I wanted to touch on then. So the, 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 in 2005, you write the first Eurovision. In 2017, you're at your second one. Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, was there any big differences in between those two Eurovision contests and the 12-year gap that existed between them? Yeah, well, the, 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 the biggest difference was the 12-year-old gap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For the first time, I was 23. And after that, I, after that, I was 35. So... That's quite a difference, boy. You will know when you're 35, and you will compare your your 35 self to your 23 year self, and you will see the difference. But the thing is, uh, it's not that much of a difference because it's not really a spontaneous thing anymore, like it was in the 70s and 80s and 90s. You know, it's some more of a thing that is driven by some people that are really into the Eurovision and they hold on to the nostalgia and uh, the TV station, the national TV stations of European countries, they gather that and they don't want to let go, even though it's not that popular anymore as it was 20, 30 years ago. What does your typical week look like now? Right now, mm. every day I wake up and the first thing I do, I do a little bit of a stretching and some of the, to get uh, to keep myself in shape, not much, but still, you know, not to be, not to have saggy breasts and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> I'm 40 years old, so I must take care of myself now. You will see when you get to my age, boy. Oh, I'm in no rush, put it that way. <laughs> I know, but uh, when I look at myself on the phone, I said, man, this guy's not 40, is he? No, that's what I was saying to you before we got started. I was I was talking to Sarah about when you sent me the voice recording yesterday saying that you were nearly 40 yeah. and I backtracked. I was like, are you really nearly 40 yeah. years old? Like, that's just, for me, that's just crazy. Well, the first time I met you would have been when? I I'm trying to remember picture. Was it 2014 was the first time I properly met you in person, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Something like that. And I was like 33 back then. A couple of years before uh, before the next Eurovision. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Wow, time flies, dude. And actually, I have a funny story about you going, uh, singing on the Eurovision show in 2017. So I was in work one day, okay, and I was I was uh, I was I know I was meant to be working between me and you, and I was in the kitchen, okay. So I actually hid away this particular evening when you were singing. There was a few of us in the kitchen. Now there shouldn't be, and really, we were all meant to be doing our jobs. You see. So I remember I was sitting down in the kitchen. I had my phone in my hand and I was watching Eurovision. And of course, I knew what time you were coming on for. So I was like, I'm going to watch you. The manager walks in just as you start singing. Now, she gave she gives everyone that look as if to say, mm, should you be in here? And I just look at her and I say, listen, I, I know this is going to sound completely ridiculous. My cousin is singing on Eurovision. I will be out in three minutes. <laughs> really? 
Now, bless her. I don't know whether she believed me or not. The only thing she said to me was, okay, I didn't see you. <laughs> she walked straight back out of the kitchen. So I have to say, like, fair play to her. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have been able to watch you that night. But I still remember vaguely in 2005. And now I think I was actually in Ireland at this stage. Yeah. Now, I didn't actually know about you at this stage. But I remember... My mum had told me that a cousin of mine is singing on Eurovision. Now, of course, at 2005, I was only two years old. No, two years old. <laughs> My math is completely wrong. I was about 12, actually, 11, 12. And I remember it was the same year that Liverpool won the Champions League against AC Milan in the, in the, in the Champions League final. Oh, and I, yeah, and I remember obviously a couple of months, or it was actually maybe a few days before that, my mum told me that a cousin of mine was singing on Eurovision and I couldn't believe it. I was, what? I have a cousin who sings on Eurovision? I can't believe it. Now, obviously, having met you then a number of years later, 2014, it was, uh, it yeah. was, great, to, it was great to actually get to meet you, obviously, your, your dad and the niece. But I remember specifically this particular summer I went out when I was in Jordan. I was there by myself and that was the year I got my first tattoo. And this is actually something I wanted to talk to you about. Do you remember myself and you walking through um, a, pl- a place near where I used to, where I lived in Jordan? It was a uh, Swafia, it was called. Because I remember uh, I can't, someone had collected you and dropped you off to my place. And we walked into the shopping area in, in Jordan. And it was just myself, you and Anise. And I was asking you question after question after question about where you got your tattoos. Do you regret getting your tattoos? How much of the tattoos cost you? All these questions. And I, that was partially the reason why I ended up getting my first tattoo on my waist was actually from speaking to you. I remember that so well. Really? Yeah. I, I still, obviously, I still have it. <laughs> it's a stupid thing to say. But. I remember that. I remember that. What tattoos do you have again? Uh, I have few. Nothing much. But nothing much, much has changed. This is 777, you see? Describe it, actually. For the, for the listeners, describe it. And actually, what, what does it mean for you? Well, it doesn't mean much, you know, uh, it's 777, of course, the slot machine thing, you see, and there's a heart, and there's a moon, and there's a sun, and there's some clouds, and there's some stars, and there are some notes, music notes, and yeah, a little bit of luck. You know, I've been born on 7th of the 7th at seven o'clock that's why i get i got that tattoo and um you know it's um it's not something that i'm really into um uh, into the digits and into the, the 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 stars and stuff like that but you know it sounds kind of funny you know when somebody's asked me when's your birthday i say 7th of july you know i say really on the 7th of the 7th yes I, and i say yes at seven o'clock bitch. other thing is my brother is born on 9th of the 9th but um i like it so just to touch back on to the, to the to Eurovision, did you find that the two Eurovisions were important for your career development or how your career went afterwards? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Uh, first of all, when you go to Eurovision, you, get, you gain your status as somebody who is ingrained in music scene of your country in some aspect, not really like a legendary status, but you are somebody who has been there for your country for the whole world to see what they have to offer, you know? And especially when you go for the second time, 
Who has been on Eurovision two times? I can I can name one ridiculous couple of people from Ireland. <laughs> but yeah, I, know, I, know. I know Ireland has um ha, you 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 are in league of your own. So let's not well, go there. Let's not go there either. I'm, I I I'll argue against that. I mean, if you're gonna have characters like Dustin the Turkey and Jedward representing your country, that I probably wouldn't say we're in a league of our own. But anyway, <laughs> but you were the first Slovenian artist to get Eurovision twice, correct? Uh, actually, no. I was the first male Eurovision participant who went there twice. But I'm the first Eurovision participant from Slovenia that has gone to Eurovision with the songs that he wrote himself. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Something that I actually value even more than going there and singing it. I went there with my own songs, you know. There was some other gal that went there for two uh, two times, but she sang some songs from some other people that some other people wrote, you know, and that's not as genuine as it should be. I, I I think so. You know, you know what I mean. You have a big passion for writing your own music, don't you? Oh yeah. I think I think you can only be treated as an artist, as a true artist, if you write the stuff you sing. You know, if you sing the stuff you write. Anybody who has a little bit of voice and um, ear for music can go there and sing things that other people have written for him, for them. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I'm not having a problem with singing something that somebody else has written for me, especially if somebody like sing, uh, writes something and it, then they show it to me and I said, oh, wow, I would love to be the singer of that song. But you obviously just prefer writing and singing your own songs. It probably has a bit more meaning behind it. Of course, I find it more genuine. So um, I'm trying to do my best to express myself as much as possible through sing through singing the songs that I have actually written. I become fluent. Have you noticed that? Compare my speech now <laughs> to 25 to 30 minutes ago. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> no, it's it's going somewhere. It's okay. The week coming up to your Eurovision performance. What did that week look like for you? How many rehearsals did you guys have? I didn't really like it because it was like um, being in an army, you know? You know, the whole uh, Eurovision national TV crew, they quite patronized me, you know? Like, um, you have to stop drinking your beer, you have to go uh, to sleep at that time, and you have to not eat too much because we have a, a suit that really fits you really tight. And if you gain like two or three kilos here, uh, you're going to be not going to be able to put it on and it will not look as well as it does right now Jeez. and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really like it, but, um, you know, you just say to yourself, okay, this is something uh, that I will professionally try to go through it as much as possible and then do my thing, sing the song and smile at the cameras and say, thank you very much. If I would go back then again, I would completely change my attitude towards all of this. It really bothered me. It, it bothered me quite, quite much. I felt a little bit repressed, you know, like be a good boy, don't drink your beer, go to sleep. Uh, we go to uh, for a walk so you can get your air and get your blood through your veins. And stuff. Come on. You know what I mean? But that's the way that they work. And they work that way with every participant every year. That's what I heard. And I heard that all the other Eurovision national TV crews are just like that with the other participants. So I said to myself, okay, but I shouldn't do that. You know, at 35 years old, you know, and you've been in Eurovision before and you've done your business and you've done like over a thousand gigs. You shouldn't let yourself be patronized like this, you know? But I said to myself, okay, I don't want anybody to say to think I'm arrogant or I'm 
I wouldn't like anybody to think that I'm uh, not listening to them or I'm like a rebel. Okay, I'll go with the plan. I'll go with your words. I'll go with you, whatever you say you want me to do and stuff like that. So I, because I don't want my image and my public figure to be wrongly uh, uh, interpreted by the people in Slovenia as well. Because when you're on Eurovision, you're always in the public eye through all the 10, 11, 12 days, as long as you're there, you know? And if some people say bad things about you, even the, the you know, some uh, journalists, if you appear to be arrogant, if you're not in a really, really good mood, you know, they say, oh, he's arrogant and stuff like that. And stuff like that comes to people. And you're all, everybody's recording, you know, and so many journalists and so many fans of your revision. And you have to be polite all the time and you have to be really nice. And if you don't want your figure to uh, come out as arrogant or ne negative. Yeah, negative, some stuff like that. So um, I just, if I ever go again, I won't let anybody patronize me again in my life, you know? The last time you came over to Ireland was 2019. We went for a few uh, pints of Guinness with a good friend of, uh, good friend of ours now, actually, at this stage. You get to message him, or does he message you at all? He does, actually, yeah. He, he, messages me, he messages me every so often. Now, to be honest, he's actually better at me communicating with me than I am with him. He's so brilliant the way he, when he texts you. He just checks in. He talks a bit about football. He'll just, just see how you're getting on. Hope all is well with the family. And then off he goes. Yeah, he's a, he's, um, I, I consider him one of my best friends, even though I didn't get to see him for two years now. Mm. We don't speak as often now because of the pandemic and I don't get to go to London and he doesn't get to come to Slovenia, but he's brilliant. I would actually agree. Paul is brilliant with, um, you know, just having a conversation with people, you know, it's so, it's so hard. It's, he messages, you know, many of my friends, but just like occasionally, just to let him know that he's there. People quite love the guy. I love him as well. How did you actually meet Paul? And where's the link between you and Ireland? Well, he's from Ireland. Mm. He doesn't live in Ireland. He lives in London, but, um, you wouldn't believe he's an uh, he's a Eurovision fan. So he messaged me once, and I said, "Okay," uh, because so 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 many people message you when you go to Eurovision. Like you wouldn't believe how many people, and they just message you, and they don't stop, and the messages keep coming. And you know, some people just go once, "Oh, congratulations!" Oh, you're hot, you're cute, oh, or, or whatever it is. You know, ninety nine percent of those people they quit after one or two messages. You know. Sure. But you don't know them, but they want to take some of your time and they want to like identify maybe with you, not only with you, but of course, with all the participants. And I'm open to those, you know, like some genuine congratulations and people who think that my voice is nice or my song is nice and stuff like that. But Paul wrote to me like for the second time in a week or two after the first message and then one one more time after two or three weeks again. And I said, oh, come on, who is this guy? And I messaged him back and I said, well, thank you very much. I, I'm really glad that you like my song and you like my voice. And uh, and he said, oh, no, this was brilliant. This was an absolute masterpiece the first time that, that I was there. Mm. Uh, and I would love you to I, I would love to have you at my radio show because he runs a radio show at um, in London in some of the local radio stations. And uh, I said, sure, whenever I come to London, I would like to meet you. And I would like to like have a conversation with you on the radio station. The first time I was there, I didn't get to meet him. I got to meet him, I think the second or the third time I was there. And we introduced each other. And uh, then I went to his radio station. 
uh, South London and we really hit it off and we became good friends. And after that, uh, he even offered me to stay with him whenever I'm in London. So I was very happy about that because we really hit it off and we are really good friends now. And uh, we've stayed in touch since then. I think it's been about 10 years or more now. So yeah, we're really good friends. And then when, when you came to Arden then eventually, when was the first time that you came to Dublin? When was the first time I came to Dublin? I think it was my third time, the last time I was there, 2019. And the first time was eight years ago, nine years ago. Mm, and you played a which bar in Dublin? In which bar? Yeah. The Temple Bar. I, you, you touched on a very interesting point that I wanted to go back to, and I wanted to explore it a little bit with someone who is a public figure like you. For, for, for me, who's just the average person walking around Dublin on a daily, on a daily basis, I'm in a, I'm in a fortunate position really where I don't have to be exposed to the public much. I don't have, I, I'm not well known as far as a public figure is concerned. So my behavior and my choices in my life don't really impact anyone else except for the people who are very close to me in my own personal life. But for yeah. you, there had, there, there has to be an element of care involved. Like you said, where you have to be a bit more careful about how you perceive yourself in public the decisions that you might make if you were to go out to a bar or the way you act at a gig or yeah. is, it, is it a tough way to live mentally? And does that ever have an impact on you mentally when it comes to all that? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, to be honest, uh, that's the part that I don't like. Uh, it's actually the part that I hate <laughs> because, you know, if you curse now and then, if you're not a public figure, if you spit it out every now and then, if you're not a public figure, if you laugh out like, like a crazy <laughs> <laughs> it's okay it's okay if you're not a public figure and so on and so forth and blah 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 but you if you're a public figure you have to be careful about that the thing is my living is dependent on my public figure image and what people think of me which i don't think it should be very important in a man's life you should be able to say i don't really care what people think i want to go on my own path i want to do what i want to do and I want to complete the things that I think that I'm capable of completing. And I want to like uh, go after my potential and after uh, what I think I'm capable of. And I don't really care what people think of me on my path. Um, but in Slovenia, not, not in Slovenia, I, I, I think in many, many small countries around the world, you know, people get around to the opinion of you and your public figure very quickly, especially if you're not very much careful of what you do, what you say, how you act and stuff like that. I can curse if I want to, because my music is something that I really 100% believe in. And um, if you're not going to take it because of my cursing, then I don't want you to be my public at all. You know what I mean? But um, in a small country like Slovenia, you're not able to just go, let it go and uh, find your audience because, uh, you know, there's like 80 or 90 95 million people like in Germany. We have 2 million people and you have to live with it, you know, and you have to behave, you know, which I'm fine with it. I'm uh, accustomed to it, so it's not a big problem for me. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I think to if you were to flip it around and have a more of a positive outlook on it as well, because I suppose you being a public figure, we have to re-emphasize that you do love doing what you do, but you do it your way and the way that you see fit. And I know you're very thankful, like even speaking to you over the, the years, I know you're very thankful for what you have, what you've been given, the the um, the stories that you've told about Eurovision, the, the stories that you've told about performing, even the way you sing, the way you perform, you can tell that you absolutely love doing it. 
So I know that the attention is that I'm sure the attention is tough more than anything else, but to reemphasize, um, it's you do what you love doing because you love doing it. I would say, uh, in that aspect, it's actually quite worth the sacrifice. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't mind being nice and being polite and uh, caring not to spit where whenever you want to and caring not to curse at whoever you want and really behave and be quite a gentleman and stuff like that. Because in a way it makes you like a better person as well. You know, it makes you realize what is good for you. And you have to realize that you are an example for, especially for younger people, for younger generations, and especially for children. Do you see my point? I I could easily say it made me quite a better person as well, because I know what to do to, to make kids understand what is good for them to be doing when they look at me, what I'm doing. So when, when there's a red light, I don't go through it. I don't go, I, I don't take the path. I wait for the green light. Mm, very simple, simple decisions. Yeah. When, when little kids say, oh, this is Omar. He's been on Eurovision and I know his song. And he says, he says, mommy, look, he didn't um, really care for the red light. He just went and uh, mom says, oh, he's a bad guy. You're, you're not going to listen to him anymore. Or he just goes, okay, Omar didn't go for the, uh, for, didn't wait for the green light. Uh, so I will, won't wait for the green light to see my point i'm just Mm. talking about those little things and when you're in a group of friends and some little children look at you and they listen to you and of course you don't curse are you serious because you know you're gonna be they're gonna be influenced by your talking and by your actions and by your sayings and doings and blah 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 see my point so this is actually something that makes you in a way it kind of makes you a better person because you know you can influence in a uh, you can impact young people and children in a very good way if you behave the way you should. I've quite accustomed to it, like I told you, so I'm 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 fine with it. Before I wrap up the episode today, Omar, and thank you again for hopping on so late. I know I really appreciate your time with this. You've been brilliant. I usually put up an Instagram story each week to ask the listeners or the followers if they have any questions for the next guest I have on. So I have three questions for you. The first question I wanted to ask you was, who is the most famous person you have met? Oh, uh, you know, I've I've met Alessandro Del Piero. Have, have, did you know? Do you the know footballer. who is? Yeah. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, is he the most famous for you? I would say you bet. <laughs> name, name a few more, by all means. Name drop. <laughs> I love to laugh at people who drop names. Oh, I know this guy and this guy, and I'll be dropping some names right now. Okay. Yeah, let's go. I've met Zinedine Zidane. Oh. He was like next to me uh, for one meter. And I say, and I, and I said, bonjour. And he's, he smiled at me and said, bonjour. You know? That's something. I'll take <laughs> that if I met Zinedine Zidane. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can say I met him because he looked me in the eye and he smiled at me. You know? yeah. um, I've met, uh, oh! I, I even have a picture with Luis Figo. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. And uh, with uh, Nemanja Vidic, and uh, I, I'm dropping all the names in football. And uh, Ricardo Carvalho, mm. I met this guy. Wow. Uh, yes. Yeah, some and then I met Johnny Logan, mm. and I have a picture with him as well. Where do you meet all these people? Is this all, all on your travels with the band, or with your with your own solo career, or um, all around? You know, with uh, you go to those parties and you go to Eurovision events and you meet some people you you take some opportunities and it's hard to say who is the most famous oh i don't know Joni logan and oh mel c i met mel c really yeah how was she yeah you know where at rte what yes you and rte 
I was in an uh, RTE like seven, eight years ago uh, with actually with uh, with an acquaintance of my friend, of our friend Paul. Mm. Uh, so I was there and I met Mel C and this is exactly when I went, met John Logan as well. Uh, oh, I met, uh, the, uh, the singer of Green Day. Uh, Billy Armstrong? But yeah, that's right. Oh, wow. I'm a big fan. Yeah. And this I is say you have tattoos of them, don't you? And I love them to death. Even to this day, I love them to death. Um, I actually met all three of them. Um, the bass player and the drummer as well. I still have like uh, their autographs. Uh, who else? That I'm sure I met pretty so many people, but I don't remember now because <laughs> it's not something that I put a lot of emphasis on. It, you know, mm. you know, it's not like oh, I met this one and this guy, blah blah blah. Mm, because it just comes and goes, and um, you know, I'm very grateful and thankful that I have the opportunity to meet people like this. You know. Mm. But um, Carl, I met Carlos Puyol. Oh my God! Where did you meet him? In Moscow, actually. Uh, and I've met. Okay, Eurovision people don't really count because you know that's a, like a small bubble of people that I've been with here and there and blah blah. But um, that's pretty much it, as far as I'm aware of the people that you know. Mm. See my point? Yeah. Maybe there are some others that I've met, but I don't remember right now. But um, yeah, I've met quite some famous people in my life. Yeah. The next question I have for you is, uh, I think I might know the answer to this, but I wanted to, I want to see what you say first. What's the one item that you cannot live without? What? Why are you asking these like, stupid <laughs> questions? <dude? laughs> well, of course, it's the guitar. Yes, I was thinking that myself. Yeah, perfect. The last question then. You mentioned you mentioned already the the, the kind of the negative points of Eurovision. What was your favorite part? of being a part of Eurovision. It doesn't matter which year either. It just overall, what was your favorite part of the whole experience? Uh, being established with it, being established as somebody who is able to take the responsibility to, to represent the whole nation with the officially best song that has been out there to go with and you've written it yourself. It's like you feel the pride. You, you see my point and you are ingrained in the history of eurovision dude you know this is not this is not a small thing even though some people disregard it and some people like patronize it and some people don't really put a much meaning to it but it's come on you know there are like 200 million people watching this and you've gone there with your own song that you've written yourself this is this is big and you feel the big pride you know to represent your whole country with it this is not a small thing that's quite big. One one quick question then as well before I go was, uh, how were the nerves before you jumped up on stage in front of thousands of people? Oh no, I, I never had a problem with that. No, it's not it's not it's not the thing of being used to it. It's a thing of your confidence, you know. And if you believe that you're good at what you do, you should be confident. And if you're confident, you know you don't have any stage fright. You see my point. And I even came to 25, 30,000 people, 35,000 people. And it was the biggest joy that anybody could ever have, you know? It's like, this is what I was meant to do. And I've never had a problem with it, you know? Like, oh my God, if, what if I do this wrong? What if I forget the lyrics? What if my voice is not ready? If it's not ready, what, so what? You know? What if I forget the lyrics? F you sing it with me. You know what I mean? That's the way I think about it. I've had some stage frights at points. When I wasn't really prepared or I wasn't really ready or I wasn't in a really good condition. But generally, 
in 95% of my gigs, I never had stage fright and I was always comfortable with it. Brilliant. That's great. Omar, thank you so much. No, no, no. Thank you, my friend and my cousin, my bro, my brother from another mother. <laughs> you know it. Thank you very much. Shukran. Shukran. Afwan. Kefak. Habibi. For any of the listeners who think we've lost our minds, we were just speaking our native tongue in Arabic. Best of luck with everything going forward. And uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, actually, are you welcoming contact? And if you are, what's the best way to get in, t- in touch with you? I use uh, Facebook, and uh, of course, chat there. What's it called? Messenger or uh, Instagram. And that's about it. I don't think you need any anything else. You know, they can get me on o.naber. Uh, I would say o.naber. That's how you find me on Instagram. And that's it. That's about it. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I hope to see you as soon as possible because I miss you and I love you, man. See you. Bye-bye. And that's it, folks. Another episode done and dusted. As of the release of this episode, which is on the 14th of May 2021, Eurovision is back on our screens on the 18th of May. So this episode has come at a pretty good time. A massive thanks again to Omar for being a fantastic guest on this week's episode of the podcast. I know there might be some people out there who may wonder at times what happens to these artists once Eurovision is over. So I hope that this has given you a good insight into just that and possibly answered some questions. I've had the pleasure of knowing Omar for several years now, since I met him on holiday one year in uh, the country that I was born in, in Jordan. Omar and I have wonderful family members over that side of the world, and it's fantastic to see the Naber name on an international stage that is Eurovision. He's a wonderful human being, and does enjoy a pint or six of Guinness when he visits our proud country of Ireland. Thank you again to Omar. To wrap up this episode, and indeed the last season and a half, I'd like to say a huge thank you to all the listeners who have given their precious time to hopefully take away messages and information from this podcast. My mission statement, when starting, was to positively affect at least one person using one message from at least one episode. And I'm hoping I did. With the help of my wonderful and very knowledgeable guests over the last few months, even I have learned so much in this time and I have really enjoyed the process and one that I will come back to in the future, but for now I'm going to focus all my efforts on college. So for now, I bid thee farewell, stay healthy, look after yourself both mentally and physically, listen back to all the episodes of the podcast to take away some information that you may have missed, or indeed if you haven't listened to any, do start, there's plenty of which to go through. Thanks again for listening and I'll chat to you all on the other side.